think think about for just a second some of the some of the changes that you'd like to make in the world. There are, there are a couple that I'd like to make. One would be that that instead of wasting money every single year, instead of not not putting a winner on the field, that the Cincinnati Reds somehow would make the changes necessary to put themselves in position to win the World Series once in my adult life. <laughs> I was a kid when they won it. Now, I feel sorry for people who are Cubs fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> Love you, but I feel sorry for you. But just once, I just I want them to make the changes. You know, I mean, I'd love to see changes in our world. I'd love to see people actually take responsibility for themselves rather than dumping it on everybody else to do for them what they're supposed to be doing for themselves. I'd love to see that. This time of year brings about all sorts of promises for change and hope for change and the change that we need and the change that we probably won't ever get and the change that everybody hopes for and all that stuff and it, it's just interesting to me that every every time a presidential election rolls around that people just we lose our minds i i remember in 04 when uh, president bush was running against john Kerry, and and in my neighborhood in louisville i lived next door to a guy who was a democrat to the hilt i mean it was it was that was all he breathed it, you know, I mean, he just lived it. And then two doors kind of around the corner, a couple, couple doors down, there, there was a guy who was a Republican just as strong as this guy was a Democrat. Now, they had gotten along. They'd lived, they, each of them had lived there for about 30 years. And to my knowledge, they had gotten along up until that point. And if you remember, you know, the last couple of presidential elections, they've been pretty, you know, heated. Especially, obviously, in 2000 when the Supreme Court had to jump in and rule and do different things. And then in 2004 when everybody thought, well, President Bush wasn't legitimate to begin with, so let's run another one out there. And John Kerry, and he just went after it and all that stuff. And it was pretty heated. And so, so these two guys, my neighbors, got along, I think, up until this point. And, and one day, one day, Mr. Holland said something to Mr. Fenwick that Mr. Fenwick didn't like. And it had to do with the election. And it had to do with politics. And I'm not one who believes that you can't talk politics and religion and all that stuff with anybody. I just think if you do it the right way, you'd be okay. But apparently they didn't. And so I happened to be friends with both of these guys independently of each other. You ever been there? And so here I am, right in the middle of this whole blow-up. I'm telling you what, if they had been younger, they'd have fought each other right there in the street. I guarantee you they would have. If they'd have been teenagers, they'd have been fighting. I had to break it up. Now, they were more sophisticated than that, and they just talked to me about how much they hated the other guy. So here I am. I was friends with both of them. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one come and get me. Yeah, okay. And I just, it's amazing. But they both wanted change, and they both thought that their political party was what was going to give it to us. You know, the Republican thought if they just elect George Bush again, everything would be great. And the Democrat thought if we just elect John Kerry, everything would be great. And here we are again four years later. Now, all of us have change that we want to happen. I guarantee you, if you're anything like me, you, you have, and, and maybe if you're still working or if you, you used to work, or you had those people that you'd get together and talk about all the changes that would need to happen in your company to make it great. And it was always somebody else, guarantee you. Somebody else. You know, if they would do this, if they would just listen to me, if I could just talk to the boss, just if he would just be quiet for a second, just listen, I'd get through to him. 
And he'd understand. They'd make these changes that I'd suggest, and everything would be perfect. Everybody would be happy here at work. We wouldn't have any trouble whatsoever. And we'd set records in sales, how much stuff we'd produce. And we, it'd just be incredible. It was funny. I was uh, visiting some folks in the hospital the other day and got to talk with a friend. And, and we, we discussed some different things. And by the time we got done, we said, you know what? We've solved every problem there is to solve. You ever been there? We just solve them all. But, but the truth is this. If you look on the back of your bulletin, you'll see an outline you can kind of follow along with. If you don't like to write things down, don't worry about it. But there, the truth is this. We all have changes that we'd like to see. And, and Tuesday, many of us will go out and vote for the change that we want. Be it a John McCain sort of change or a Barack Obama sort of change. We'll vote for the change that we want. But I want you to understand this. And if I have one, I guess, thing that just burns inside of me during this whole political season, it, it's, it's this in a nutshell. The change that we really need, it won't happen because of a new president. It won't happen because of a new president. You may say, well, hold on just a second now. We're Americans here, and we believe in democracy and all that. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I think you ought to go out and vote. If you're eligible to vote, you're registered. And if you don't vote, something's wrong. Go out and vote. I'll be, I'll be voting. I'll be right here. This is my precinct. I live across the street, so I get to vote here. It's kind of nice. And, and I'll be voting on, on Tuesday. But a new president's not going to give us the change we need. doesn't matter who's elected. doesn't matter if a Democrat or Republican or if somehow. And, and in four years, I just want you to know this. In four years, I'll be 35 and eligible to vote. I'm going to start a massive write-in campaign just to see if I can get myself elected. But I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> Just joking. Some of you wouldn't vote for me. Uh, but, but it's not going to be a new president. And what breaks my heart, I'll be honest with you about this for just a second, what breaks my heart is to see Christians put their hope and faith in a person. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't rally behind a political candidate if we believe in what they're talking about. If our values match up with their values and what we think matches up with them, I think, you know what, get behind them, vote for them. But I have to be honest with you. It breaks my heart to see when Christians who serve the living God will put more faith and hope in a man than they'll put in God. And, and, and I don't know where that hits you today. You may say, you know, I'm right there with you because that just drives me nuts. You may say, oh, hold on a second. Now, I don't know. I'll just be honest with you. It's not going to happen because of a new president. Because in four years, we'll be fighting the same battle again. Guarantee you, whoever wins this election, the other side's going to come just as strong as the next one. It's just the way that it is. You've, you've probably lived through several elections, and you've seen this. And it just goes back and forth. So the, the change we really need is not going to come from a new president. It's not going to come from a stronger military. And we have the strongest military in the world. We could strengthen it and, and, and fortify ourselves even more, but that's not going to bring us the change we need. Now, I, I'm, I'm in full support of our troops. I think we ought to be. Full support of our troops. You know what? Those people that go and lay their lives on the line, I think we ought to pray for them, support them, cheer them every chance we get. But that's not where our hope is for the change that we really need. The change that we really need is, is not going to come from a new president, from a stronger military. It's not going to come from making more money. And this is hard because in, in today's world, this moment, you're not sure next week, some of you, if you're going to have a job. You're not sure a month from now if you're going to be making the same money you are now. And you think, if I could only make a little bit more money, if, I, if financially I could just be a little more stable than, 
That, that's the change I'm looking for. I just need more change in my pocket, literally. I just, you know, if I could just get that, but that's not what's going to solve it. The change we really need is not going to come from getting a better job. Some of you have miserable jobs. Some of you retired from miserable jobs. You say, thank God I don't have to go there anymore. But the truth is, you've probably experienced this. You can change jobs over and over and over again, and somewhere in there, there's something inside you that says, you know, this just didn't give me what I needed. Maybe it did for a couple of months, and it just felt good for a little bit, but what I really needed didn't come from getting a better job. It's not going to come, the change we really need is not going to come from going to church. Some of you are thinking, well, hold on a second. Your job depends on us coming to church. Now, wait just a second. But the truth is this. There are millions and millions of people who every Sunday go to church and are never changed. Never. Never changed. Because why? Because the change we really need isn't going to come from us just showing up here at church and counting that as, I did my good deed for the week and I put my God time in and everything ought to be smooth sailing. That's not going to cut it. I'm not saying you ought to now, well, let's double our church attendance and be here two times a week because that's not going to get it either. Should you be here? Absolutely. I think you ought to if you can. But is that going to provide for you the change, that the real change that you absolutely have to have in your life? Not in and of itself. It's not. The change we really need is also not going to come from being a better person. And Jesus Himself said that hell will be full of really good people. It's going to be full of really good people. And heaven is going to be full of people we'd probably be surprised by. You say, wait a minute. That person... Are you serious? I'm curious to get there one day and just discover who I thought, there's no way. And they're there. Because Jesus said that it's not just about being good, and you don't just need change. Well, if I could just be a better person, then that's the change I really need. So the change we really need is going to come from somewhere else. Why? Because the change we really need is in our hearts. The change we really need is somewhere deep, down inside of us. Each one of us here today, don't miss this. Don't, don't feel like that just because you've maybe lived life long enough to where your heart is kind of set in its ways and you're good to go, and, or maybe you're just getting started and you just think, yeah, big deal. Don't miss this. All those things we've listed, and we could list a hundred more of things that people put their hope in for the change we really need. The change we really need, though, isn't going to come from those things because the change we need is in our hearts. We're going to look at it today from the Scripture and dive down into this just a little bit. And I, I'll be honest with you, today's, today's Scripture is, a, is, is challenging. And, and, and I struggle with it myself because I, I realize that I've got a long way to go. And I realize that far too easily I have put my hope in change that I really don't need. I've put my hope in more money. I've put my hope in a different job. I've put my hope in more education. I've put my hope in this school or that school. I've put my hope in this person or that. And this scripture today hits me between the eyes because I realize the change I need isn't from the outside. It's from me on the inside. And so I want you to check it out with me. If you've got your Bible, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is way over in the Old Testament. It's one of the first five books of the Old Testament written by a guy named Moses. Moses was the, I guess, the de facto king, leader of the Israelite people when he led them out of slavery in Egypt, and they wandered around in the desert for 40 years because they were hard-headed and wouldn't trust God. Doesn't sound like anybody that we know, I'm sure, but they were hard-headed and wouldn't trust God. And so God made them wander around for 40 years, 
And He had promised them good things. He had said, you know what, if you just trust me, just, just trust me and obey me, good stuff's going to happen. You're going to enjoy your life. Things are going to be good. But they didn't. And so they wander around and wander around. And finally they get to the point where God says, okay, it's time. All the people who didn't trust me, they're gone. All the people who wouldn't obey me, they're gone. And now we've got a new generation of people who says, you know what, we're focused on trusting God. And they get to this point where they're about to enter what was called the promised land. Simple terms, the land that God had promised to them. They were going to be given a country. God had promised them, here's your land that you can have. And so they get to the point, they're right on the edge of it, and Moses lines all the people up. And if you know Moses' story, he was forbidden from going into the promised land because he got a little frustrated one day and he failed to trust and obey God. And God said, you know what? You're not going to lead the people from a point of trust and obeying God? Fine. I'm not going to let you lead them into the promised land. And so Moses is standing here kind of giving his last will and testament, so to speak, his last set of instructions, and he gets to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he starts to lay it out, and that's kind of where we pick it up today. And so the Israelites are getting final instructions before they take hold of what God had promised them. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, you go back just a couple of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, kind of lays out how God feels about His people in His heart. Check it out if you've got your Bible open. Oh, that their hearts, this is God talking. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. Now, this is where we, we like to stop it. Because if, if you're a person who's been against God for any, any time at all, you just want to say, well, God just wants to take this from me and He just wants to do this. He just wants to put me in a box and set up a bunch of rules around me and tell me what I can do, what I can't do. And we just want to leave it at that. Because if that's the God that we serve... I'm going to turn my back on that guy because I don't want anybody who's going to lay down a bunch of rules for me and tell me how to live my life all the time. And that's the attitude sometimes we stop with. We keep reading the verse. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. You understand God's heart? God's desire is for your best. It's for your best. That's the God that we... We, we look at the, at the God of the Bible sometimes and we misread the Scripture and we just think we serve this... God who's either real, real distant or real, real cold and angry at us all the time and waiting for us to mess up. And when we do, bam, He's going to nail us. And That's sometimes a view we have of God. Is God holy and righteous? Absolutely. Does He, does he tolerate sin? No. But is God also loving and forgiving and wrap His arms around you kind of God? Absolutely. This verse details, here's what I want for Israel. If they would just fear me, just serve me, just trust and obey, and it would go well with them. They'd actually enjoy their life for a change, regardless of their circumstances. And then it would pass on to their children forever. So understand that that's the, the concept here that God's trying to get across. Look, I've got your best interest at heart. So as we look at this challenging scripture today, God wants what's best for you. If you give him a shot, I think you'll figure that out. So chapter 6 begins with this. Moses is talking, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, that it may go well with you, there it is again, that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Now the Israelites, standing on the brink of something incredible, 
I want to tell you what I think about this church and what I think about us as individuals and Christians in general. I think this church, and I don't mean just random people, I mean us, I mean this church, the people who've said, you know what, this is where I want to be. This is kind of where I'm going to go and plant my life and do my best to help out. I think, I think we're this close. I think we're this close to seeing God do something absolutely incredible, both in us and through us and out in our community. I, I really believe that. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't have come here if I didn't believe that. I just want to be upfront with you. If I didn't believe that we were close to seeing God do something absolutely incredible, I wouldn't be here. And I hope you wouldn't be here either, because I hope that's what you want to see, is God do something amazing that only He could take credit for. And so I, I think we kind of stand like the Israelites. We kind of stand on the edge, looking over into the promised land to see what God could do, to see new people coming into our body, and not just new people who've transferred in from different churches because they didn't like their church. We'll welcome you here. We love you. If that's, if that's the reason you came, no problem. I love you anyway. No problem. But really what I want to see our church grow from is people who didn't know Jesus before, who met Jesus and are continuing to follow Him. That's, that's, that's the growth that I want to see in our church. That's the kind of spiritual awakening. I hope to, and I think we're that close to it. And so as we kind of look at these Scriptures today, understand that that's where I believe we are. And I think during this time as, as Christians, as individuals, both in our community and just nationally, I think we are this close to recapturing some of the influence that we've lost over the last 50 years. I think we're that close. Why? Because people are looking for change. They're looking for hope. Why do they show up at these political rallies? Why do they carry signs around for some guy who doesn't know that they even exist? Why do they do that? Because they, they can see hope. They can see change. They see that things might be just a little bit better tomorrow than they are today. And the truth is this, that we carry within us, if you are a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, you carry within you the power for change that they're looking for and the hope that they desperately need. And we are this close, I think, to recapturing that influence that maybe we've lost. You know, it's amazing that all of a sudden in today's financial world, handling money God's way seems to be a little bit more attractive than maybe it was before. Because why? Because people are saying, whoa, hold on a second, if I can't trust the government, if I can't trust Wall Street, if I can't trust all those other people who hold my money for me, well, who am I going to be able to trust? And we can step in and say, well, hold on. If you would do it God's way, God promises He'll provide. Talk about recapturing some influence. I think we're that close to it. But, but, just like the Israelites, if we don't take the advice from the Scripture today and put them into practice, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. I guarantee you that. That if we don't do what it takes to have the change that we really need, then we'll miss it. Verses 1 through 3, Moses lays it out. Obey the commands. Do what God asks you to do so that it will go well with you, so your life will be prolonged and that you'll enjoy it as long as you can. You and your children and your grandchildren after you so that the land that I'm giving you, that you'll enjoy it, you'll inherit it. And then he gives them a challenge, starting in verse 4. Check it out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are some takeaways that I want us to get from this today, and we'll move quickly through them, and then we'll be dismissed a little bit later. But the first one is this. If you're going to have the kind of change that you really need, 
If you're going to be able to recapture that influence, if you're going to really have the change that God wants you to change, we've got to start with this. And verse 4 highlights it. The first one is this. Don't compartmentalize your life. It'll be on the screen. Don't compartmentalize your life. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Glad you asked. I was ready to explain it. Don't compartmentalize your life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one there means that the Lord is unified. In the Trinity, the Lord is one. And that He covers all things. That there's nothing outside of His dominion. And that means that in our lives, there is nothing outside God's dominion. His sphere of influence. But we're pretty slick. Because oftentimes we compartmentalize. We've got a God room in our lives. Typically happens on Sunday morning. And I'm going to go spend some time in my God room for a while. And I'll think about God while I'm in there. And I'll learn as much as I can. It'll be really good for about an hour. And then even at lunch, maybe I'll talk about it. Critique the, critique the pastor's sermon. Well, I wonder what he was talking about when he said that. Can you believe he said that? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's right. You know, we'll go back and forth. And we'll think about God while we're in the God room. And then tomorrow, some of us will go to our work room. We'll get up early. We'll go to work. And we'll spend time in the workroom. We'll do the things that we need to do to get the paycheck so that we can do whatever it is that we want to do in the other rooms of our lives. Some of us will go to the schoolroom. And we'll spend time at school tomorrow with our friends, with our enemies, with people we like and don't like, with teachers that we respect and don't respect. And we'll spend time there. And here's the problem with that. Is that each time that we think that we're moving from one room to another we typically take on a different persona in each room that we're in. We're in our God room. Well, we're godly. We say all the right things. We speak the church language. I mean, we, we just, we're, just, we're just dead on. When we go to our school room and we do what we got to do to survive there, we go to our work room. You know what? It's, it may not be the most popular thing to be a Christian at work, so I kind of do what i got to do to make sure I keep my job and get paid and all that stuff. God in the Old Testament, as He's described here in verse 4, is different than the gods of the, the pagan people that were surrounding Israel and the country they were about to go in. Because they had different gods for different things. They had a god of the harvest, god of the sun. They'd have a, a god of the river and god of the ground. and different. They'd have all kinds of different gods. And Moses is describing God and he says, Now hold on, your god isn't like that. Your God can't be compartmentalized into different things. He's over it all or He's over none of it. And in our lives, the danger is this. If we compartmentalize our lives, then we'll view and think about God only as being in charge of part, only as being involved in part, only as wanting to have influence, only as caring about part of our lives, when in fact, we serve a God who is interested in, who cares, who loves, who has something to say, who has something He wants to help you with in every single part of your life. And it breaks my heart, really, to see people who do this. And only because I've done it myself, and I know how detrimental it is to our walk with God. And maybe today you just say, you know what, that's me. I mean, I just, I have these different people that I am in these different rooms of my life, and and I realize that if I'm going to serve the Lord our God, I cannot, I cannot, with authenticity, compartmentalize my life and think that I'm just serving God in this area and not in this area. I mean, think about it. 
Are you the same person when you're spending time with God that you are on a golf course? Something bad happens on a golf course. Bad shot. Doesn't happen to many of you. It happens to me from time to time. Mr. Walt, I know you never hit a bad shot. Straight down the middle every single time. I like that. Are you the same person, young people, that, that you are here at church and around the God things that you are with your friends? Think about it. Be honest. Adults, are we the same here at church and, and view of God that He rules it all and He's all-powerful? Are we the same when we sit down with our checkbook? We start balancing our budget and just think, my goodness. And we start worrying and fear and so on builds up. And we, do we think that the same God who has the power to give us salvation and eternal life in heaven has the power to say something to help us out with our money, we compartmentalize an awful lot. In Revelation, Jesus wrote a letter to one of the churches, and He talked about the people that compartmentalize their life, and He called them lukewarm. And He said, you know, the, the problem with that is it makes God sick, because that's not the way it's supposed to be. God wants to be in every part of your life. And if you're going to have the change on the inside that you really need, the change in your heart, you've got to start with refusing to compartmentalize your life. And then second, look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The command here is simple. Love God with your whole self. This is not something that should be broken down all the time. Well, what does it mean to love God with my heart? What does it mean to love God with my soul? What does it mean to love God with my strength? Those words are to be taken together. It would just mean all of you. Every bit of you. I mean, now we can look at it and say that, you know, different parts of us obviously connect with God on different levels. We understand that. But it's everything. The Bible's not saying, well, just, you know, build up to it. First start loving God with your heart. Just feel good about God. And then start loving God with your soul. Just be confident. And then start loving God with your strength. Just go out and do things for Him. No, no, it's not, it's not one at a time. It's all together. The word there that talks about love is, talks about... Uh, a total commitment. And it, and it refers to the fact that it's a choice of your will and it's acted out. And so, how your life is directed, how do you love God with all that you are? It's in your actions. It's in your thoughts, your attitudes, your work ethic, your plans, your service that you offer, the intellect that you have, the dedication, the choices you make, your commitments, your emotions, your intentions, your motives. So how do you demonstrate that? I mean, how do you say, you know, I really do love God with all that I'm having? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It's not just simple belief. You realize that the Bible says that even demons believe that there is a God? You just say, well, I believe in God. It's not enough. Even the demons believe in God, but they don't, they don't love God. It's more than empty words and rituals. Again, it's not just coming to church. Although that's something I hope that we do. It's not just that. And it's, it's not just giving of what you have to God, because God at, at, at His very core wants you, not just what you possess and what you can do for Him. So what does it look like to love God? It starts with a brokenness on the inside. To know that apart from God, I'm nothing. It starts with grieving over sin. And I'm not talking about shame and guilt. I'm just saying, I just grieve. Because I don't want to do that. That's not what I want my life to be about. To realize what sin does to us in separating us from God. Loving God involves loving what God loves. 
Study the Scripture. Determine what it is that God loves. He loves people. He loves sinners. He loves people that are far away from Him. It's hating what God hates. God hates sin. Sometimes in my life I've had to be honest and say, I'm not sure I hate sin like God hates sin. Or else I wouldn't find excuses to commit that sin. I wouldn't find justification for it. And I wouldn't repeat it. Loving God means rejecting the world and its system. It means seeing life through a different set of eyes. Through a spiritual set of eyes. Realizing this is temporary. But what God does is forever. Loving God means seeking a deeper relationship with Jesus. Being sensitive to how God feels and thinks. And living a life of integrity. You may say, well, man, that's a long list of stuff. Are you kidding me? That's hard to do. The great thing about Jesus is this. Not only is He the forgiver of our sins, but He is the enabler that will help us to live the life that God wants us to live. You realize you don't have to do it alone? There's nothing in the Bible that says that you give your life to Jesus, good luck, go out there and just do it on your own. Nothing. And I think that's awesome. Because other religions, other faiths, it's about them and how good they can be. And one day, hopefully, they'll measure up. The great thing about the God that we serve, the God of the universe, is this, that even though we could never measure up, even though we had no shot, that He made a way, and makes a way every single day for us to fall more in love with Him, to be more committed to Him. As the Holy Spirit gives you strength to do that, you're not alone. You're not on your own. God will never leave you. So if you think it's too hard, give your life to Jesus and watch the Holy Spirit enable you to be the person God wants you to be. So to, to have the change we really need, refuse to compartmentalize your life. Love God with your whole self. And then enjoy the fulfillment of God's promises. The Israelites were promised a lot of things. Check it out in verse 10 of chapter 6. We're getting close to the end, so you can relax. Keep breathing. I get to see all your faces. I love it. I love it. Even when you're not looking at me, I'm, I'm quick. I'm going back and forth. I'm looking at you. Everybody doing okay? This stuff's kind of tough today, isn't it? I, I mean, I don't know about you. I just, it's, it, this stuff is hard. To love God with all that I am. I mean, that's hard. So keep breathing. All right? I'm on your side. I'm with you. I'm not trying to hammer you today. All right? I love you. Let's get through this stuff together. and Let's see what we can do. Check it out in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied... Now, now stop there for just a second. The fulfillment of God's promises... There were promises on the other side. If they would simply trust God and obey Him, there were promises. He talked about the stuff that they would get to enjoy that they didn't even have anything to do with. That somebody else had done, and they were going to get to take it over because God had given that to them. God's blessings on them weren't going to be because they were so good, because God was so good. And He wanted to give them something in the fulfillment of His promise. You realize that, and I just did a, a quick sampling of the, of the Scriptures, and... and the Bible is full of promises for people who truly love God. It's full of them. Now, I'm not saying that if you love God, you'll never have another, another problem. That, that's not even the point. But the Bible is full of promises that people who love God with their whole selves 
will never be left alone by God. He says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. That God will give you peace that passes all understanding. You ever seen somebody like that? They're just so in love with God. they got tough circumstances, but there's something about them. They just, they're still loving God and peaceful in the midst of that. that. God promises to guide your steps, that He would be a father to the fatherless. We've got some people like that in our church. They haven't had the right kind of father. God says, if you love me with all you are, I'll be that father you never had. That He'll renew your strength when you get weak. That He'll set your foot on a rock to give you a firm place in your life to stand. That He'll protect you from your enemy. That He'll give you a home forever in heaven. That nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. That you'll have hope for tomorrow and for all eternity. That you know you're on the path that leads to life, that doesn't lead to destruction. God will lead you to a place of contentment in your life if you love Him with all you are. That He'll always meet your needs no matter what. That life will be good, pleasing, fruitful, and can be happy regardless of your circumstances if you love God. That's what He wants you to experience. And we see in this verse, not only that, but you'll be satisfied. You'll be full. You'll say, you know what, I have enough. You ever seen somebody who never has enough? I would venture to say they don't truly love God because when you love God and He gives you all of Him, you got enough. God's promises are there meant to be fulfilled if we'll love Him with all that we are. What if your life was like that? What if that was your life and you got to experience that all the time because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? The underlying principle behind all of this today is what Moses gets back to in verses 12 to 14. He says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. To truly love God, you must trust Him. And you must obey Him. And that's really what loving God is all about. It can't be about the outward religious activities. It can't be about that stuff. When Jesus showed up on the earth, you know who He had the strongest words for? The most religious people on the planet, the Pharisees. Because they did everything outwardly that was right, but their hearts were messed up. They didn't truly love God because they counted on all the other stuff to lead them where they needed to go. So it can't be about that. The truth is you're on one side or the other. You either love God or you don't. I either love God or I don't. How do you know if you've truly been saved? If you're truly on the way to heaven? The way you know is that your prayer of repentance and commitment is followed through by love for God through trust and obedience. I mean, how can you be confident? You say, how can I really know? You love God. You trust Him, you obey Him. Whatever He says, you do. Whatever His principles in the Bible say, you try to live those out. When he says, trust me, don't put your hope in a person, you trust him. The transformation that happens when God saves a person, when he gives them salvation, when Jesus comes into their life, it produces a new will, a new desire, and a new attitude deep inside that's best described as just love for God. And the truth is, none of the change that we desire to see outside of us will ever happen until we are changed from the inside out. All the changes that you could list, I want this to change, and I want this to be different, and I want this to happen. All the changes we want in our country, all the things we want to see, never going to happen 
until we are changed from the inside out. Until God has full access to every compartment in our life. Until it's just one big room that God lives in and we just take Him wherever we go. The change we desire to see outside of us will never happen until we are changed from the inside out. So the question is this, do you truly love God? Do you truly? And be, be careful before you answer. Do you truly love God? Are you trusting Him? Are you obeying Him? Does He have all of you? Remember that He has your best interest at heart. You give your heart to Him. He's not going to cut it up in little pieces and throw it back at you. He's not going to do that. He's good, and He loves you. And He invites you into this love relationship with Him. It's not based on following all the rules and just dressing right and looking right and saying all the right things. Based upon having your heart on the very inside of you transformed. Maybe you're frustrated with the change that you want to see in the world. But it's got to start with you. Things can be different. We can, as a church, get to where I believe God wants us to be. Experiencing that growth from lost people who have found Jesus and been found by Him. We can, as individuals, recapture the influence that maybe we have lost as Christians, but it's got to start with each of us individually. The truth is, the change that I would love to see, for us to be growing and, and, and experiencing God's presence each and every week, that's never going to be possible unless I'm growing and experiencing God's presence every single day. The, the change you want to see at work, the people that you'd like to see just, they're not going to change until you are changed from the inside out. And that's where God wants to start. As we play and sing through the, the last song this morning, I want you to consider how it is that God would want you to respond this morning. And I'll tell you this, I don't believe that if everybody in the whole church were to come down front this morning, that we would somehow have greater success in our experience this morning than if everybody simply left and went out and loved God with all you are. Understand that's the goal. But I will say this. If you feel like, you know what? I just, I just, I have not loved God with all my whole self. I mean, I've compartmentalized my life. I, I've just, you know, I've trusted other people. I just haven't, you know, I haven't trusted Him and obeyed Him. Maybe you'd like to come down and pray and just repent of that and talk to God about it. You're more than welcome. I'm not going to call you out and, and, and embarrass you or do anything like that or make you give a speech. I just, it's open for you if you'd like to pray with, and talk with God. Or maybe you're a person who says, you know what, I, I, you talk about how can you know you're going to heaven and being saved and all that kind of stuff. I don't even know what that means. Maybe you're a person who's just counted on, well, one day the good will outweigh the bad, won't it? I mean, it'll be okay. The Bible says unless you love God with all you are, unless you... Follow Jesus Christ, who, who said Himself, He is the only way. Unless you do that, you may unfortunately find yourself being one of those really good people separated from God from, for all eternity in a place called hell. You may say, well, that's kind of strong. The, the Bible's pretty strong on that. And I want you to know, I would beg of you, follow Jesus this morning. Give your life to Him. He loves you and has an incredible plan for your life. Give your life to Him. Maybe you need to respond by coming down and saying, what do I got to do to do that? I want some of that. Tell me how. I'll be happy to explain that to you. Or maybe you say, you know what? I, I was never really baptized. Maybe I was baptized as a kid, but I'd like to take ownership for that. And I'd like to follow 
Jesus in baptism as, as an adult. And I'd, I'd like to give, you know, give that as a symbol that I'm, I'm serious about this. Maybe you've been saved and you just say, I need to follow and, and be baptized. Whatever it is. Maybe you'd like to join this church and just say, this is where I want to be. I want to be there when, when we're that close and we cross over into what God has for us. I want to be there. So as they play and sing, I, I want you just to respond and however it is that God calls you. We'll close in prayer in just a few moments. And we'll pray for, for our leaders of our country and so on. If, 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 um, right before we close, we'll do that. And, um, but don't, don't leave today without being changed from the inside out. So if you would, uh, bow your head and, and close your eyes for just a moment. Let, let me say a prayer for you, and then you'll have the opportunity to sing along, to respond, um, however God calls you. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for the truth of your Scripture. God, thank you that, that, that even though that we, we face some challenging Scripture sometimes, that the encouragement is that you've got our best interest at heart, and that you want nothing but the best for us. Thank you that, that the most loving thing that you could do for us is to teach us to obey you. Because in doing that, we're guaranteed a spot. We're guaranteed a place in heaven by trusting, loving, and obeying you, by following your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing that for us. Encourage us this morning, Lord, to to follow you, to trust you, to obey you, to produce in us the change that we really need. In Jesus' name, amen. Respond as God calls you.